friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning about money and investing or what we can eat for longevity or the best workouts for our immune systems. And today, we're going to talk about dating. Look, clearly I'm in a relationship. I actually haven't dated since my early 20s and dating was obviously really different then. But I still find dating so fascinating because it's about social psychology. It's about what makes people connect and what makes someone charismatic. And even as a married person, I absolutely adored today's interview. I feel like I just learned how people work in a whole new way. And I even took away some tips and tricks to change my own interaction, not in dating, but just with people in general so that I can be more sparky, more charming, a better conversationalist. Also, I feel much better equipped to give advice to all of my friends who are out in the dating field right now. My guest today is the amazing Logan Yuri. Logan is a Harvard-educated behavioral scientist turned dating coach and the director of relationship science at the dating app Hinge, where she leads a research team dedicated to helping people find love. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, GQ, Glamour, and on HBO and the BBC. She was a featured speaker at South by Southwest 2021, and her book, How Not to Die Alone, is absolutely phenomenal. It's a really science-backed, totally unique approach to dating, and it's available wherever books are sold. I wanted to have Logan tackle all of your questions and dating challenges. So I asked you on Instagram and I got thousands and thousands of responses. And her answers are so good. We talk about science-backed tips for being attractive and desirable on a date, how to be a great conversationalist, including the exact questions to ask, the one huge thing everyone does wrong on dates, how to feel super confident and not self-conscious at all on dates, how to design a perfect first date according to behavioral science, including how long it should be, what you should do, and more. If playing games works, according to science, and this answer shocked me, to be honest. I feel like it was really surprising and it changed the advice that I'm going to give my friends in the future. I'll just say that. I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Three tips for creating a perfect dating app profile, how to flirt better, how to get over exhaustion and dating despair, green flags and red flags to look for on early dates, and even how to meet people in real life if you don't want to do the whole app thing. I want to hear what you're thinking about this episode. It's just really fun and it's such interesting information. So definitely take screenshots as you're listening and write down anything you're learning, any thoughts and tag me. I am at Liz Moody and Logan. She is at Logan Yuri on Instagram. We are also doing an incredible giveaway over on Instagram. You guys are going to love this one. It includes a bunch of Logan's amazing books and wait for it. This is so good. A one-on-one -on -one virtual session where Logan will help you, yes, you, tackle all of your dating challenges. So definitely check out Instagram to get all of the details on that. Also, share this episode. I know that you've got friends who need to hear this. I know it because I have already sent this episode to like 10 of my friends. Help people stop doing the wrong things. Help people find love. And if you love this episode and you want more like fun, relationship, juicy stuff, we have an NSFW sex Q&A from back in the fall that I highly recommend that you listen to when this one's over. It's got like science-backed practices to fire up your libido, the sex position we all should be doing but aren't, and more. Finally, if you're new here, 
Don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on future episodes. They drop every Wednesday and we've got some amazing stuff coming up, including a Harvard scientist busting exercise myths, a TV star dishing on what really goes on in Hollywood and why it is so terrible for mental health and more. So join the fam. We would love to have you. Okay, without further ado, please welcome the absolutely wonderful Logan Yuri to the show. All right, I'm here with Logan Yuri, and you're going to help us become expert daters. I'm really excited. Yay, excited to be with you. Let's just get right into it. What are your best tips for being attractive and desirable on a date? Ooh, interesting. Coming in hot. Okay. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind for me is this idea of be interested, not interesting. So often when I work with clients, they're like, I can't go out with anyone yet. I haven't been on any cool trips during the pandemic and I have nothing to talk about and I'm not interesting enough. And they're so focused on how they're going to come across and tons of research into what makes people feel attracted to you, what makes people have a good time tells us that it's much more about asking people questions that make them feel interesting. And so it's really about saying to someone, oh, how did you end up moving here? And how is this different from what you expected? And if your 16-year-old self looked at you now, what would they be surprised by? And what would they not be surprised by? And it's so funny, the more that the other person talks, the more they think that you're a great conversationalist. And so my first tip is really on focus on being interested, not interesting. I love that. Is there a balance between asking a lot of questions? And I think people are afraid of like making the other person feel like they're on a job interview or something like that. Yeah, I think about this a lot. So one term that I've come up with is ZQ, somebody who's ZQ asks zero questions. And so that's one really far end of the extreme. And I, just to put a gendered lens on it, a lot of women say to me, these guys never asked me any questions at the end of the date. I feel like I could write their biography and they don't know anything about me. And I'm like, yeah, that sucks. And when I put this <laughs> on Instagram, all these people were like, wait, am I ZQ? And I'm like, yeah, that's the first question you've asked in a long time. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. And it's just so interesting. So I think the far extreme is you don't ask any questions and you make the other person ask all the questions. And that's terrible because what's sometimes happening in your mind is you're like, well, if they had something to say, they would just say it. Why do they need to be asked? Or she must have just thought I was so interesting. That's why she asked me all these questions. It's like, no, no, no. This is a conversation. You want to go back and forth. The other thing that you don't want to do is ask what I call index card questions. And so that's these questions that are kind of cheesy that you got from the internet. Don't ask something like, if you could go to dinner with five people, dead or alive, <laughs> that just makes me cringe. It should be something based on the information they've shared that helps you follow up, but not something that you you know got from a Reddit thread called like questions to ask on a first date. Okay. So if we're on a first date, would it likely be something from their profile that we've seen? It could be, but honestly, people's profiles are just not that much space. It's kind of like a billboard representation of who they are. Yeah. There's a few ways of doing this. So one is like, can you just respond to the moment? Can you say something like, wow, that's an awesome jacket. Where did you get it? Are you really into fashion? Or how did you choose this place? Have you been here before? Like, If you can actually just be a person who's in the moment responding to the experience, that's a great way to be present. My friend Kristen Berman has this term 
press play mode. And that means like, I say to you, Liz, how did you get into podcasting? And like, you've been asked that question a hundred times and you press play in your mind and you say, well, at first I thought I was going to do this, but then I was on a podcast and you're just repeating to me something you've said a million times before. The opposite of press play mode is just being in the moment. And I ask you a question you've never thought about. And then you're like, hmm, And that's the moment where you think and have an experience. And that's what's actually fun and leads to connection, not pressing play on some tape you've said a million times. Okay. I like that. Along those lines, a question that I got a lot is like, how do I let go of expectations for the first date and worrying about how I'm looking and how I'm acting? Because that feels really counterproductive. So that feels along the lines of trying to be in the moment. Yeah. So expectations is something that I imagine you and I are going to talk a lot about today. And I talk about it with my dating coaching clients all the time. It's something that comes up because so often people say, am I too picky or am I not picky enough? Are you telling me to compromise or are you telling me to settle? And so expectations is a very loaded concept. So the first thing that I'll say is that how you feel going into the date has a huge impact on how the date goes. And so if you feel confident, if you feel sexy, if you feel connected to your body, you're going to show up in a different way than if you feel self-conscious. And so it feels like some of the subtext to that question is, how do I get over my own insecurities to really show up as my best self? And I would just say the premise of that question is important because this does matter. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I think that that's hugely important. Like what you essentially just said is how your date goes has as much to do with you and how you're feeling when you go into it as it does with who you end up on the date with. And I just think that's hugely important. And I rarely hear that discussed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a client once who was just so negative. She was just so burned out. She was so over dating. Every suggestion I gave her, she would start with, but no, she would just tell me why it wouldn't work. And I was like, you could go on a hundred more dates and it's not going to work out because of the energy and the mindset and the attitude that you're bringing to dating. And so for some of those people, well, actually for everyone, I like to say this version of the old quote, which is whether you think the date will go poorly or you think the date will go well, you're right. In other words, your expectations and your mindset are going to have a huge impact on the quality of the date. Okay. So then how do we feel sexy and confident and excited before we go out on a date, especially if we've been out on a million dates before and they've all like sucked? Yeah. So first of all, you only need one person. So each time you go out, you can say like, this may or may not work, but it only has to work once. It's not like I have to find 10 great potential partners. I like to encourage people to do a pre-date ritual. And so that is something that you do to separate the time between when your day ends and when you show up on the date. And so your date doesn't just begin when you open up FaceTime or you walk into the wine bar. It actually begins hours before. And so some of the things I like to propose for people One is taking a bath. I'm really into sense. I'm really into relaxation and all of that. And so taking that moment to just go from work mode to dating mode or flirtatious mode. I also like to listen to comedy podcasts and just laugh and kind of get out of my head and just be in a positive mood. I have a bunch of pump up playlists that I listen to. Sometimes I do jumping jacks just to get my heart up and really get the blood flowing. Sometimes I'll call a friend for a little bit of a pep talk or just kind of to get out of work mode and into a different mode. But yeah, even something small like spraying perfume on yourself to go from a work Zoom to a dating Zoom, even something like that can tell your brain like we're in a different place. 
I love that. I also think podcasts are great for looking for those conversation starters because <laughs> yeah. they can get you to be talking about things versus just what do you do? What do you do? But like versus the reporting conversation. I think that's such good advice because a fun tip that I give people is instead of walking in and starting from the beginning, where do you live in the city? What do you do? When did you move here? Can you just start the way you would talk to a friend, which is literally walking in and being like, Liz, on the way over, I was listening to such an interesting podcast. And then you just get into a conversation. And it's like, that's what we do with friends. We don't start with what was your commute to this location like? And so you can always roll back time and ask the the basic small talk questions later. But can you actually just begin by being like baseline, we're friends and we're going to have a normal conversation? I love that. I also feel like that's a really good tip to the second part of the question, which was worrying about how I look and how I'm acting. Do you have any other tips for that part of it, for not being self-conscious on the date? Yeah. So my first tip is more psychological, which is like know that it matters and so invest in feeling your best. And then in terms of how you do that, for me, like I have certain outfits that I've gotten compliments on. And so if I wear one of those outfits, I'm just like, well, people seem to think I look cute in this. And I have other outfits where I'm like, oh, should I have not bought this color? Was I feeling a little too adventurous that day? Maybe it's just like not the time to wear a crop top if you're going to be pulling down your top the whole time. It's like, what are the locations, the environment, the activity, the outfit, the time of day that really play to your strengths. And so, for example, I was speaking to a client yesterday who said that this guy keeps trying to ask her on tennis dates. And I was like, I think that's a fun date. Like get the endorphins flowing, be competitive, go out for juice afterwards. And she's like, that just feels uncomfortable to me. I don't want to do that. And I was like, okay, so what I'm hearing is the environment of a tennis date doesn't play to your strengths, what date does? And she was like, I love history and I love talking about the history of my city. I was like, amazing. Take him on a tour of some of your favorite spots. And like, it hadn't crossed her mind that she could create a date that played to her strengths, but she totally could. And that is actually going to make a really big difference in how she shows up. That's so interesting. Okay. Let's talk about first dates. A lot of people wanted to know what were good first date ideas. It sounds like you maybe don't think there's universally good ones. Like, is it more specific to each person? I actually do have a list of basically applying behavioral science. So the study of decision-making, basically just a fancy way of, of talking about how the small details matter and applying that to dates to design really good dates. And I can give you a couple of my favorites from that. Yeah, let's do it. So one is people really respond to you putting in effort. And so if you say to a person, oh, where in the city do you live? And then you plan a date near them, that actually goes a long way in just showing that you are accommodating, that you're decisive, that you care, and that you can plan a good date. Another one, which we just talked about, is being thoughtful about the time and place. So for me, I'm such a morning person. Maybe I would go on a date in the morning. Maybe not. I should mention, by the way, that I'm married. So these are more hypothetical. But just really thinking about if you're super tired after work every day, then like maybe you need to do it on the weekends or like just being realistic with yourself about how you show up at different times of day. Another one is adding an element of play. And so I like to say, don't play games, but play. So playing games is pretending to be someone you're not, waiting three hours to respond, asking the group chat what to say, right? It's all about like not even being yourself, being who you think you should be. Whereas play is in the moment, let's improvise, let's 
jive off of each other's energy. Let's look at who's around us and and people watch. It's really about, it's almost a version of mindfulness. It's like, it's you and me, baby, against the world, looking at the people around us versus feeling like we're sitting across from each other in a coffee shop interviewing each other. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens maybe five years ago because I was traveling a lot and I wanted an alternative to green smoothies when I was on the go. I actually don't think that I've taken a trip without it since because it makes such a difference with travel constipation. I went from having constant gut problems on trips to being able to poop regularly and also still feeling energized even though when I travel, I'm usually mainlining croissants like five times a day. The energy element is the main reason I started to bring it into my daily life. As I'm sure you're very sick of hearing me say, I don't drink coffee or any type of caffeinated tea in the morning. It just messes with my anxiety too much and it makes me feel jittery and then crashy later. Now, when I feel sluggish in the morning, I mix a scoop of AG1 into water and chug it down. It's honestly like instant energy. And unlike caffeine, it's real energy that comes from flooding your body with nutrients, not stealing from your adrenals. So there's no jitters, no crash, nothing. Just this feeling of like vim and vigor and being ready to take on the day. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that were specifically selected to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And maybe even more importantly, they actually use clinically researched amounts of everything they include. So you're actually getting the studied benefits. I checked on that because a lot of times, even if it actually says something on the package, it's like such a tiny pinch that it's basically just marketing. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. And they're third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. I know you're going to ask how it tastes, and I'm going to be honest, I actually love it. It tastes a little sweet, a little grassy, and really bright and fresh. I'd say it's like a really good green juice. I've also come to crave the flavor simply because I associate it with making me feel so good. I've basically pavloved myself. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash healthier together. I love the travel packs. I keep one with me at pretty much all times, and the vitamin D3 and K2 is amazing. You actually want to make sure that you look for K2 with your D3 because the K2 helps the D transport calcium to your bones where it's needed rather than calcifying in your arteries. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash healthier together to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's get back to the episode. Is there a sweet spot for amount of time to spend on a first date? Like so you don't feel like you're stuck there with somebody you might not like so much? It's interesting that you ask that because I really try to pay attention to when my dating coaching clients bring up the same topic a bunch. And I'm like, okay, I've just heard this three times. There's definitely a trend here. And even in the last week, multiple clients of mine have said, I go on these four or five hour dates and like, I don't even know if I like the person. And I'm like, what? That is so much of your time to spend with someone that you don't know if you like them. And they're like, well, yeah, I guess my limit should be uh, no more than four drinks. I'm like, 
that's a lot of drinks. Not <laughs> not that I'm judging them for the drinking, but like- It's just a long time. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you owe that to them? And they're like, well, the person seemed to be having fun, so I want to stick around. I'm like, slow down. If you're going on five-hour dates, you're going to burn yourself out because when you think of dating, you think of five hours. Can you think of dating as 45 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes? Not that you can't extend it if it's going well, but somewhere in their psychology, they were like, well, if the guy seems to be having fun, I should stick around. And I think that's actually a recipe for burning yourself out. And do you think that just meeting for a drink is like not a good first date? I also get this question a lot. I want to give the aspirational answer and I want to give the realistic answer. So the aspirational answer is I want you to do something creative. I want you to do something fun. I want you to have an experience. So for me, it's like, can you meet up in a place? Like, for example, I live in the Bay Area. So can you meet up along the strip that has a lot of different dumplings? Can you go on a little dumpling tour? You know, no one can be too serious when they have soy sauce dripping out the side of their face. Like that to me is a great date. People are going to push back and be like, Logan, that's too intense for a first date. I don't want to put that effort in. Can't we just meet up and get drinks? And so drinks do not have as much of the experiential, fun, I put effort in thing as other dates, but I do want to be realistic that that's what a lot of first dates are like. I would just try to avoid something that feels too friendly and it's going to be really hard to connect or feel sexually interested in someone when it's like a 7 a.m. Starbucks date. It's not like, I'll know it when I see it. And if you're my soulmate, even at 7 a.m., I'll want to jump your bones. It's like, no, like that's way too early to feel sexual. And so you're actually shooting yourself in the foot if you try to plan a date that actually is more like something that you would do with friends. And then it ends up just feeling like a lack of connection. Okay. And then you keep saying, if you try to plan a date, and I know a lot of women in my life don't feel like they should be planning the first date, the first few dates, and they really don't feel like they should be asking for the date on the app for fear of turning the guy off. And obviously this is very gender stereotyped, but I hear it over and over from my friends. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes. So first of all, In terms of how I speak and how I give advice, I just like to imagine that I'm giving advice to everyone. I'm really proud that my book is written for men and women, and I have a lot of male clients. I think because I use terms like sunk cost fallacy and loss aversion, I make men feel safe and they hear me on NPR and they want to work with me. And so I'm like, yes, I want to speak to everyone. This is not a book for like men on pickup artistry. And it's definitely not a book for women on like how to be passive and make the man work for you. Like those are so far from what's interesting to me. I understand that your audience is probably mostly female. Is that true? Yes, they are okay. <laughs> mostly female. We have, we have some men and we love our yeah. men, but I would say mostly female. Okay. So with that in mind, this one is complicated, but I will give you a piece of research that we did at Hinge that hopefully is helpful to your listeners. So some of the people on dating apps who feel most burned out are people that get the most attention. So people who get the most incoming likes because they open up the app and they're just like, oh, like, where do I start? There's just a flood of interested people. And like, yes, I can hear you if you're someone who doesn't get this. That's a nice problem to have, but that does lead to burnout. And so the intuitive advice might be, I should take a break from dating because I feel overwhelmed. But what we actually found is that the more that you feel in control of your dating life, the less burned out you feel. And one of the best ways to feel in control of your dating life is to go after what you want. And so what that looks like is 
directly liking people on Hinge, sending comments to people who you're especially interested in, and even suggesting a phone call or a FaceTime or a date. And so instead of worrying about how you come across by being proactive, you should actually think, I'm going to be happier about dating, go on more dates, go on more dates with people I like if I go after what I want, because that's what our research showed. And I also feel like if somebody is going to be turned off by you asking them out on a date, like, is that really somebody you want to build a life for? And then my friends are like, no, no, it's like they subtly think that you're better catch and whatever, whatever. But I'm like, is that true at all? Are these subtle games working in our favor ever? I wish I could say that none of that is true. I honestly think this is like a pretty complicated one and there's a lot of layers to it. So in general, and I'm going to say this not with a gendered lens, in general, people like things that they have to work for. And so, for example, if you were applying to a job and the day after you applied, they were like, you're hired, you're it. You'd be like, what? Why are they? Why is that such an easy job? If they made you go through like an interview round, a writing sample, an in-person, an on-site, all these things, like it's basically this concept of cognitive dissonance. It's like your brain doesn't like to hold two conflicting thoughts. And so if you are putting a lot of effort into something, you say, wow, I must really want this because why else would I be putting so much effort into it? And it doesn't make sense to say, say, I don't really want this, yet I am putting a lot of effort into it. And so in general, human psychology, we tend to like things that we have to work for. That being said, in the dating app world, playing hard to get is actually not that great of a strategy because it's not like I met you at a bar and I'm waiting three days to call you and you didn't meet anyone else that night. I have tons of options. You have tons of options. There's a lot of messages going back and forth. What we found at Hinge is that being responsive Responding to somebody within a few hours or at least within 24 hours means you have a greater chance at going on a date. And so in general, being responsive is a good technique. In terms of who should make the date, one thing that I tell my clients to pay attention to is matching effort. So if you suggest the first date and then you go out and then after the first date, you follow up, you suggest the second date. I'm like, if you stopped messaging that person, would you just never hear from them again? And so it's not to me, let the guy take the lead and do all the work. It should be equal or it should be close to equal and you should match the other person's interest and should be going back and forth. If you feel like you're taking 90 steps forward and they're only taking 10, just doesn't feel like a good recipe for me for someone who's really interested in you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I That cognitive dissonance idea and like the idea of like we like working for something, I feel like that rings true in just so many comp- parts of our lives, you know? Yeah, there's also a related concept called the IKEA effect that one of my mentors, Dan Ariely, came up with, which is that, you know, when you have you built IKEA furniture before? Yeah. I built one stool and I will not <laughs> shut up about it. I'm like, this is my stool. I use it oh to get God. to high shelves. I built this myself. <laughs> Okay. So stable. I love it. You totally (laughs) guess what it is. Yeah. Basically, like if you build something yourself, you just value it so much. And it's like, I feel like I've recently gotten rid of the last of my IKEA furniture, I think, but it's just like we hold on to these things because we built them and then they are like, we value them so much because we know the effort that went into them. I feel like that's why they make their instructions like a little bit opaque too. Like they're slightly more confusing than they need to be so that you feel like you overcame a hurdle when you put it together. It's so true. It's so true. It's it's a journey. It's really a journey. Okay. So here's one. How can I make my dating app profile more attractive? Like what are three tips for creating an ideal profile? Sure. I have spent 
multiple years studying this. And I'm very happy to talk about it because I think I actually have very tactical tips to give here. So one is your profile is telling a story. It's branding. It's really revealing who you are. And so you want to think about the story that you're telling and you want to have variety on it. So start with this. Start with what are three things that I want to get across in my profile? And so they could be something like, I am looking for a long-term relationship. I am really into my dog and I love cooking. Okay. So in your profile, and I'll talk about Hinge, uh, through your photos and your prompts, you need to get those messages across. And so then when you think about what you include, you at least have a little bit of an idea of, okay, I want to have at least one picture that shows me and my dog, maybe a picture of me cooking or something I made. And then in my prompt response, I'll talk about looking for a long-term partner. So that's just an early exercise. Are those three things, should those be things that you personally are proud of or like think are vital to your personality or should they be three things that you think would be attractive to a potential partner? It's a great nuanced question. I would say the former. It's really about indicating who you are, not trying to be what you think other people want. Just in general in life, I think the more that you can be authentically who you are, you're going to find someone who's picking up what you're putting down. I think when people try to play the game too much, they just end up misrepresenting themselves. I have this story in my book of a woman who came over and she showed me her profile and it had these pictures of her hiking and talked about how she loved camping and all this stuff. And I was like, what? This like doesn't represent you at all. And she's like, I know, I know, but I want to find like an outdoorsy guy. That's what I'm attracted to, the lumber sexual. And I was like, your luggage tag literally says, I love not camping. (laughs) Like that is a thing about you that I know. Why is your profile like this? And she was like creating this basically false image of herself in order to attract this type of guy. And instead we changed it to who she was, which was like into jazz, into whiskey, into traveling. And she found someone that was just way more into that and not outdoorsy at all. And so it's about portraying yourself in an accurate but flattering way. Okay. So like women don't need to put pictures of themselves holding a fish. Oh my gosh. No, the fish pictures everyone (laughs) should avoid because they're so cliche at this point that people like will proactively swipe left on them. I feel like men like found out they were cliche though. And then they're like, "It, I'm going to be so funny and make fun of the cliche by putting my fish picture in there now. And it's just like, no, no, it's still cringy. Like stop with the fish. I agree. Yeah. There's a whole category of cliches that people should avoid. And that's definitely one of them. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk, and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed, and well, I was blown away. First of all, seed is not just a probiotic, it is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. 
Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind like old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support Support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that. So feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to Seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you'd like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can get 15% off your first month's supply of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic by going to seed.com slash daily dash symbiotic and using the code Liz Moody. Again, that's code Liz Moody on seed.com slash daily dash S-Y-N-B-I-O-T-I-C. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay, so we have our three things represented in three different ways on our profile. What's next? Yeah, so let's just go through the photos themselves, do's and don'ts. So your first picture should be kind of like a headshot, just what your face looks like. Clearly, no filters, no sunglasses. I just need to see what you look like. And you should also have pictures that show your full body, you with friends and family to show that you have an active social life. And ideally, you doing something that you love. Show us what dating you would look like. In terms of what to avoid, just in general, selfies perform poorly. People don't like gym selfies. People don't like pictures of you smoking. I would avoid that. Filters and sunglasses make it harder for us to see what you look like. I also call certain photos Where's Waldo pictures, where it's like the 12 blonde women who at a bachelorette or like bridesmaids at a wedding. And I'm like, which one of the blonde women in a pink dress are you? Why are you making me guess? This is like a little weird, but I have a friend who's very hot and she puts pictures that where like her very hot body is clearly on there. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if you lead with photos of like, she's obviously so hot and beautiful, but I'm like, if you lead with photos of how hot and beautiful you are, are you just going to get like scumbag guys who are only interested in sex? Yeah, this one's really complicated. I had a conversation with this beautiful woman last week about this. She's 26. She has a large chest. And her first photo was her wearing this tight dress with that. And 
I think it depends. I think it depends what you're looking for. Like, I would never say like, because your body looks like that, you need to hide it. If you have a hot body and that's like something that you worked hard on and you're proud of, like, why would you not lead with that? Like, if you have like an amazing job and you're pediatric oncologist and you save kids' lives, like lead with that. And so like, I would never tell someone your body is so attractive that it's going to be hypersexualized and you you shouldn't lead with that. And so my advice there would be date like a scientist. That's something that I tell my coaching clients all the time. I teach a class called Date Smarter where we talk about this. It's basically that it's not that I always know the right answer. It's that I can tell you how to run an experiment. And so an experiment would be when my first picture is a little bit more G-rated and it's like me smiling in a sundress, what type of attention do I get? What type of guys do I attract? When my picture is more of the going out super tight dress that's a little more busty, what type of attention do I get? And maybe you're like, I just get more total attention with the second one and then I can filter. Great. Maybe you're like, I hear from sleazier people and I don't want to do that. That's fine. And so it's not about hiding yourself or hiding your strengths. I think it's about understanding that how you portray yourself does lead to different results. That's interesting. Would that include stuff? Like I have another friend who thinks that when she tells anybody that she's a PhD, that men are like turned off instantly. And I'm like, that cannot be the case. Please tell me that's not the case. Some guy is going to love that. But she's like, no, no, like literally every single guy. So would that be the same kind of thing? Like maybe hide it and do your own filtering some of the time and put it on some of the time and test? Yeah, I've actually done exact research into this thing. And what I found with women that have graduate degrees, so beyond college, is that they get fewer total number of people who send them proactive messages, but the guys that go out with them like them more than women with just high school degrees or just college degrees. And so you get a fewer total number of dates, but the dates you do go on are more likely to end up as a great date. Okay. Okay. That's positive. I like that. Yeah. I mean, for that example, I would say don't hide it because like, come on, you have a PhD. This is part of your identity. You spent six years in school. Are you really going to date someone who's so intimidated by that, that you have to hide it? It's like, no, lead with that and let that filter for you. And that's honestly a big part of my advice for people is like, we're so concerned with quantity. I want to get as many messages as possible. No, think about attracting the right type of person. And so another piece of advice I was going to give around saying what you're looking for is that we ran this fascinating experiment at Hinge where we had four fake profiles and they said different things for what I'm looking for. Some of them were more generic, like looking for somebody kind and funny. And some of them were more focused on, I'm looking for my forever adventure partner. I'm looking for a good time in a long time, like clearly looking for long term. And then we had 12,000 people look at these profiles and we knew some of the 12,000 were looking for long-term, some of the 12,000 were looking for short-term. And what we found is that if the person looking at the profile wanted a long-term relationship and saw that the profile said they wanted a long-term relationship, then they were 17% more likely to send them a message. If the person looking at the profile didn't want a long-term relationship and saw that the other person did, they were 11% less likely to send them a message. This is a really important point because it means that being upfront from the beginning means you turn the right people on and you turn the wrong people off. What if you just don't feel like the right people are out there? Like I got a lot of questions that were like, I swipe and swipe and swipe and I literally just don't see anyone I like. Do I need to move cities or how do I fix that? 
Yeah, this is really common. I think if you've just been on these apps for 10 years, you're just like, nobody new is in my town. What am I supposed to do? Like I hear, I hear the frustration, the question, I hear that frustration from people I work with. There's no one answer. One thing I would say is really taking a look at your criteria. Are there people that you are making assumptions about and writing off for the wrong reason? And so I had a client who was just, she's just a skeptical person, I would say. And when somebody put on their profile that they were an entrepreneur, she just assumed, oh, I bet that means they don't have a job. And I was like, why would you think that? And she's like, well, that just seems like a BS thing to me. And I was like, okay, instead of swiping left, why don't you say to yourself, I have a question. What does this person do? And then in your text chat with them, you can make sure to get that question addressed. And if you like their answer, go out on a date with them. And so it's thinking about how can I be more curious about people and assume positive intent instead of being super negative and assuming that like any missing piece of information or any unflattering photo is a reason to say no to them. Okay. Let's stay on the negative for a little bit. I'm underwhelmed by every person I go on a date with. I literally never feel a spark. Is there something wrong with me? I hear this question so often to the point where I'm like, what is going on with people? Like, are we all just like on our devices all day and we like don't have any connection to our body and we're just not feeling sexual? I probably get this question like once a week, which is some version of I go on If I see a hundred guys, I only feel attracted to three of them. And then of the three guys I'm attracted to, only one likes me. And that means that like I have a one in a hundred chance of even connecting with a guy. And I'm like, yeah, that is too low. That just is not sustainable. And so what are the things that people can do to increase their chances of being turned on by people? And like, how can they be more in their bodies? How can they masturbate more or listen to Dipsy for audio porn? How can they really get connected to their own sexual feelings? Because sometimes it's about just you feeling more open to sexuality, connection, erotic energy. And so step one is just increasing the number of people who you may feel attracted to. Another thing is understanding that attraction can grow over time. Sometimes people just the first time they're like, kind of quirky looking. And then you're like, wait, they're sort of adorable. And I keep thinking about them and I want to kiss them. And if you just have this like blunt, immediate reaction to people, you're just turning down a lot of people that could make great long-term partners. That's interesting. I do think we have, and I know that you've talked about this a lot too, this like notion of love at first night or something that we're supposed to be really feeling when we meet somebody and it sets expectations and it's not productive as an idea. Yeah. People just go to first dates with this concept of like, I'll know it when I see it. It's going to be love at first sight. It's going to be instant chemistry. And you know, I, I know as you know about my work, I have this idea of fuck the spark. I love this idea. Yeah. So I'll go into fuck the spark and where it came about. And it's not that the spark doesn't exist. It totally does. It's that we put too much emphasis on needing it right away. And we just give it so much power in modern dating. And so the first myth around the spark is that if you don't have it, it can't grow. That's just definitely not true. Research shows that only 11% of people in happy relationships experience love at first sight. Many of them, the feeling grew over time. That's why people end up marrying someone from work, marrying someone from their apartment building, marrying someone who lives in their dorm. It's called the mere exposure effect. The more that you are exposed to something, the more that you like it. 
Oh, that's so interesting. I knew about that in terms of we like people who have like names that are similar to ours or sound like ours because we're just exposed to our name so much that we like it. But I didn't think about that familiarity concept applying to other facets of our life. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Haven't you ever had the thing where like you hear a new like Bruno Mars song and you're like, I don't like it. And then like after the fifth time, you're like, I really like it. It's my favorite song ever. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I love that song. I know that song. So yeah, the first one is that the spark can grow over time. Okay. The second myth is if you feel the spark, then it must be a good thing. And honestly, people get this wrong so often. Look, some people are just very sparky. I met this guy recently. I'm like, damn, he's just giving everyone the spark over here. Every girl at this conference is just feeling this guy. And it's like, yeah, he was hot. He made good eye contact. He was charismatic. He was a sparky person. Doesn't mean that there was something special going on between him and the woman he was speaking to. It was a reflection of him. And I happen to think this guy was was really nice person. But sometimes the sparky guys or the sparky person, they can be really narcissistic and they can be really into love bombing or seducing you or getting you to fall for them. And it's not actually a reflection of if they're a good partner. It's about the feeling that they give the people that they meet. Is there any way that we can up our sparky qualities? Like it was interesting, you just said gives good eye contact or things like that. If I wanted to be that charismatic, attractive person, are there little tricks I could employ? Yeah. I get this question a lot. I don't feel like it's my expertise. I feel like I'm not the flirtiest person. I do in my dating class have a flirting expert come in and he teaches a flirting seminar and it's really, really fun. And the reason why I selected him is that I knew all these people that he had dated and hooked up with. And I'm like, oh my gosh, those people are so hard to get and like so picky. And like, you just seem to like have so much game. And when I was around him and observing him, I'm like, he just makes everyone feel so connected to him. He asks incredible questions. He asks follow-up questions. He makes people feel interesting. He's lived an interesting life, which he talks about, but it's really about he's just open to possibilities. He doesn't go to a party saying, if I don't meet someone, this was a waste. He's like, people are these conversational paths that I can go down and see where I wind up. And in the class, we came up with this idea of ABF, always be flirting. And it's basically just a mindset. Like, what does it mean? Can you go to a coffee shop today and while you're waiting in line for the drink, ask the person next to you, did they call my name yet? Who cares if that's the gender of the person you're interested in? It's just about engaging in the world in this really open-minded, open-to-possibilities way. I like that because I'm married, but I still want everybody that I meet to love me. You know, I'm a Leo too. So like, I'm just like, (laughs) I love the idea of kind of like bringing that flirty energy to every interaction. Yeah. Flirt with the world. You are going to feel so good. You're going to be feeling yourself. You're going to wake up and your whole mindset will change. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Using protein in green smoothies is key. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient, so making sure there's a good amount of protein in your smoothies is the best way to avoid that mid-morning crash and make sure that you are full and happy through lunchtime. I've tried pretty much every protein powder on the market, and there are only a few that I like enough to keep stocked in my kitchen to use in all of my green smoothies, and I am so excited to introduce you to one of them today. Meet Clean Lean Protein by Newzest. Newzest is made from European golden peas and extracted using this awesome, patented, chemical-free technique that ensures the texture is super smooth and not gritty or gross like so many protein powders. 
and is easy on the stomach because it also takes care of the digestive irritants. It's regularly tested for gluten, soy, dairy, heavy metals, and pesticides. You can rest assured that what you are enjoying is safe. And it's got a 98% digestibility rating, which means it's gentle on your gut and the protein on the label is actually being absorbed and assimilated by your body. Unlike most protein powders, they don't use any gums, emulsifiers, or stabilizers, which hugely helps with flavor and make sure that there is nothing in there that can irritate your gut. Currently, I am obsessed with their digestive support line. They have a probiotic vanilla and a probiotic cacao. The vanilla gets its flavor from organic vanilla beans and is lightly sweetened with just a touch of organic coconut sugar. The cacao has just organic coconut sugar and cacao powder, and they both have probiotics and L-glutamine, which is one of my favorite gut health supplements. Newzest is one of the only brands I've found that actually tastes good in my daily green smoothies, and I'm a huge believer in not suffering through anything that's not enjoyable in the name of health. It makes my gut feel good, and it helps my blood sugar stay super stable so that I can be energized and ready for my day. Basically, if you are looking for a protein that has everything you want and nothing you don't, Newzest will be your new go-to. And of course, I've got an amazing deal for you. Head to newzest.us slash Liz and use code LizM for 20% off your order. Again, that's newzest, N-U-Z-E-S-T dot U-S slash Liz, and the code is LizM for 20% off your order. I cannot wait for you to try this protein powder. I know that you are going to be as obsessed as I am. Now, let's get back to the episode. I love that. Okay, this is my last downer question, but I did get a variation of it a lot. So I'm just going to read one of them, which was trying to think of a question, but I'm mostly just feeling intense exhaustion (laughs) and dating despair. Is there anything that you can say that can help? Yeah. The first thing I want to say is just like, I hear you. If you've been single for a long time and it hasn't worked out, you're kind of like, what's my evidence that it ever will work? And there's never a guarantee that you'll find someone. It's not like, okay, well, I want to go to law school. And if I study hard enough for the LSAT and apply this year and apply again next year, like eventually I'll get in. Like there really is no guarantee. And I think sitting with that uncertainty and navigating that ambiguity can feel really bad. And so just kind of want to start off by saying, like, I really feel where this person is coming from. In terms of what to do, one thing that I'll point to is what I said earlier, which is that research on burnout that shows that actually going after what you want, feeling in control of your dating life is correlated with feeling less burned out. If you hear that and you're just like, hell no, the last thing I want to do is put more work in. I also respect that. And so what would it feel like for you to feel more like yourself? What are the things that you can do in your life that bring out that really happy side of you? And so there's this term that I came up with when I was working with a dating coach, I guess, seven years ago, which is confidence, feeling calm and feeling confident. And I'm like, that is my ideal state as an anxious person. Calm is like, I trust that things are going to work out. I'm feeling myself not I'm feeling myself, like I trust things are going to work out. I'm not overthinking things. I feel optimistic. And then the confident part is just believing that people are attracted to me and the feeling myself piece. And so I was, I used to try to text and date from that place. And so if you're feeling disconnected, what are the activities? Who are the people that you can be around? Can you take time off work? Can you go on a trip? How can you revisit that confident part of yourself and then date from that place? I love that. 
That's a beautiful exercise in general too. I know your book is called How Not to Die Alone. Do you think though that if somebody doesn't find their match, they're doomed to live a less happy life? (laughs) Yeah, this is a funny one. I definitely get pushback on my title. I like my title. I think it's provocative. Like if you see it in the airport, you're going to ask about it. But I also know that some people find it aggressive. And so my somewhat defensive answer to that is like, if I wrote a book called How to Cook French Food, it doesn't mean that everyone in the world needs to cook French food. It's that if you're interested in cooking French food, this is a book for you. And so this is basically a book for people who are single and don't want to be. Lots of people are in a relationship with themselves and there's all these books coming out about, you know, single and happy or divorced and happier than ever. And so I think everyone should make the right choice for themselves. That being said, we do know from the research how important relationships are to our lives and the quality of our relationships determines our overall health, happiness, and life satisfaction. But that's relationships in general, not just romantic relationships. So you'd say the research supports that we're healthier together. The research supports that we're healthier when we're connected. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a romantic partnership. It could be investing in your community, being a great aunt or uncle, living with friends. But yes, living an isolated life tends to make people less happy and less healthy. Is there any research, like statistics you could point to that might make somebody who definitely wants a partner but is afraid they might never find one? Are there any comforting statistics in that realm? (laughs) <laughs> this is a good question. I I don't have something off the top of my head from a quantitative or statistics perspective, but what I can say from working with hundreds of dating coaching clients is, first of all, you might think that my hottest clients have the most success. Like you might be listening and being like, if I lost 10 pounds, everything in the world would open up for me. I have had clients that are either literal celebrities or so beautiful, and they struggle with the same things that everyone else struggles with. And so There is not a sense of like, if you look different, then everything would change. The second thing is that my clients that have the most success, what sets them apart is the consistency. They consistently go on dates. They consistently run experiments and try to get better. They consistently learn from their mistakes. And so it's not about a magic moment where you're at the farmer's market and you reach for the tomato and you have the, you know, adorable we met story. It's much more about swiping going on dates, figuring out your blind spots, developing healthier dating habits, and finding a great person and committing to them. There really is no magic potion. What are some green flags that we can look for on dating profiles? Oh, interesting. Honestly, my response is going to be more about green flags to look for on early dates. I think you know, dating profiles are two-dimensional. There is a limit to how much you can tell about someone. And so I really try to say like, Go from the app to a date as quickly as possible. See if you can banter. See if you like the sound of their voice. See if you're attracted to them. Really, it's just impossible to read too much into the profiles, or you shouldn't try to. In terms of green flags, I have a chapter in my book where I talk about what matters more than we think for long-term relationships and what matters less than we think. And some of the what matters more stuff is, are they loyal? So you can look for, do they have friends from different aspects of their lives? Or they tend to have fair weather friends where, you know, whoever can go to Ibiza this weekend, that's who they hang out with. Emotional stability, which is a hard one, but when things happen, do they tend to react right away? Or do they tend to take a breath and pause and actually take that moment to respond? Can you make decisions together? 
this is something, obviously you need to spend more time with someone, but when something difficult comes up, like, you know, one of you, you know, maybe you have like friends' weddings the same weekend and you have to negotiate that. Like, can you compromise? Can you talk about hard stuff? Can you have hard conversations? And similarly, can you fight well? All couples fight. 69% of problems in relationships are perpetual, meaning you will not solve them. It's about navigating those differences. And then finally, which has become the most important in my mind to me, is what side of you this person brings out. And what that means is it's not about who I am. It's not about who you are. It's about when we're together, what's the dynamic that emerges and what side of me do you bring out? Because that's who I'll be all the time that we're together. It's really such a good point that you're just going to be hanging out with this person ostensibly for the rest of your life. And it's like, who do you want to be for the rest of your life? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's huge. I was going to ask what's the sweet spot for the best amount of time to chat on the app before meeting in person. It sounds like you think as quickly as possible you should move it to in person. Yeah, we did some research on this at Hinge and the sweet spot is between two to five days. But in general, I think people talk way too long in the apps before meeting up. There's a sense of like, well, like I couldn't possibly meet up with someone I'd only spoken to for two weeks. It's like, why? What do you think you're getting between week two and three? And instead, the negative is that you build up a fantasy in your head of who you think they are. And then when you meet up with them, even if they are great, they are not the exact version of great that you had built up in your head and then you're disappointed. And so even going back to the question where the people are like, I'm not attracted to people, I show up on the date and I'm disappointed. One thing that that person might be doing is talking too long on the date, on the app, building up a perception of that person in their head. And then when they meet up with that person in real life, they're inevitably disappointed. And going back to the sort of like playing games, making people work idea, is it okay for anybody to ask out the date to move it off app? Or is that, you know, unattractive, you know, making people work for it? Yeah, I think anyone can do that. And honestly, so much about this, so much about life is just how you frame something. And so a big thing right now is talking on the phone or doing a video chat before you meet up in person. That's something that started during the pandemic and I would say is here to stay. The worst case scenario is that you make it seem like a job screener, like, hello, all possible dates must go through this screening. And if you are approved, then you will move forward in the application process. It's like, give me a break. No one wants to engage in that. And so how can you bring it up in a way that feels casual? And so a guy in my class last night said to me, I want to talk to women on the phone before we go out. If they say no to the phone call first, is that enough of a red flag that I shouldn't meet up with them at all? I was like, I just don't think so. I think maybe they could just like, that's an unfamiliar concept to you or to them, or that makes them feel weird. And so maybe it's saying something like, seems like we have a lot of text chemistry. I'd love to see if we can keep up the conversation. I'm planning on going for a walk tonight at six. Can I give you a call then? And it's like, it fits into my life. This is a thing that I do. I'm just kind of checking out how we're feeling and something like that. And then also saying like, let me know if that works for you. If not, let's meet up in person this weekend. Making it more flexible so that it's not like jump through these hoops to date me. It's more like this is a part of the journey for us to get to know each other. And I do think assuming the positive intent, not assuming that if they don't want to talk, there's something wrong there, but just that's a obstacle that you can overcome easily and quickly. 
Yeah. In general, like I worked at Airbnb and that was one of our principles and it was really helpful to me. Like, you know, when you get a Slack message and you're just like, oh, this person is so annoying and you just think that they're like out to get you. And then you're like, no, it has nothing to do with me. This is just like a normal message. And so assuming positive intent in general, I think makes life better. Honestly, I think it makes like relationships significantly better once you're in the relationship. Right. And it's also like a way to get out of your own head. It's like probably this person is not thinking about you at all. They are not out to get you. Just they are living their life, doing their job. And it's actually like pretty narcissistic to be like, oh, like this is a part of a greater plot. It's like, no, we're just all at work trying to get things done. Yeah. Just because we're the star of our own movie doesn't mean everybody else is in our movie. Yeah. I have strong main character energy (laughs) for sure. So the other thing is that In researching my book, I spoke to this amazing woman named Helen Fisher. She is a biological anthropologist, and she talked about something called the negativity bias, which is that if you go back to human evolution, it was very good for your own safety to pay attention to things that were negative. And how she said it was, if you have five ex-girlfriends and one of them wants to kill you, it's a good thing to keep in mind which one that is. And so how she explained it is that our brains are actually very good at noticing and remembering the negatives. And so if you're getting feedback at your job and you get five compliments and one point of feedback, you really focus on the feedback. And the same thing can happen in dating where it's really clear to tell what's not perfect about the person, what you wish you would change, you know, the one picture that's unflattering. And can you actively override that by looking for reasons to say yes? Your brain will already look for reasons to say no. I like that. I've heard you speak to, I feel like this goes hand in hand with your idea of a two date minimum commitment. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. You know, you write a book, you're writing it on your own. It comes out and people have responses to different things. And so definitely fuck the spark has taken on a life of its own. And then the make the second date the default is one that people push back on a lot. And so the idea there is that many people are not great on first dates. They're nervous. They are more introverted. It just takes more time for them to open up. And so instead of saying, I'm going to go on the first date and if they knock it out of the park, I'll see them again. What if you say, I'm committing to at least two dates and that way that if they are the kind of person that takes longer to open up, you might see something on the second date that surprises you. And I've gotten so many DMs on Instagram from people who are like, I now have an amazing boyfriend because of this. And like my mom said, I should see him again. And I wouldn't have listened, but you said to make the second date the default. So I did. I also get a ton of messages from people saying, what if the second date isn't great? Do I go on a third date? Do I go on a fourth date? Like it is a hard thing and I don't have a scientific answer. It's more of the concept of some people just don't spark on the first date and how can you make sure that you're still giving them a chance even if they don't have that sparky or maybe more extroverted way of being? Well, and I like that it, I think you've talked about like, it takes the pressure off the first date and it lets you have more of the normal conversations because you're not like, oh, I need to get all of the information I could ever have about this person in this one little period of time. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So it's taking the pressure off, you're more relaxed and you're more in the experiential mindset than the evaluative mindset. Yeah, I really like that. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. There are so many things that I wish I'd known before starting as an influencer or launching my first product. Hot tip number one, literally everything that you make at first is gonna suck or at least not match the shiny vision in your head. And that's okay. 
because you know how we get to that shiny vision? By producing and refining and producing even more. The Healthier Together deck was not cute when we first made it, and we went over the questions literally hundreds of times before we got them right. But you need to start somewhere. Also, your search engine is your best friend. I literally searched how to write a cookbook proposal before writing my first book and followed the results I found pretty much exactly. I made my proposal, which got me my agent, which led to a bidding war and the eventual publication of that book and my next by Penguin Random House. I also searched to find both manufacturing and fulfillment for the Healthier Together deck. Make search your best friend. Finally, guys, Canva Pro. Canva is truly amazing. I used to have all of these ideas for what I wanted creative assets and graphics to look like, but because I wasn't good at design or the tools you need to create them, I could never bring them to fruition, and it was honestly so frustrating. Then Canva came along and changed the game. Here's the gist. Canva has literally hundreds of thousands of free templates that are all so cute and are designed for different types of graphics, whether you want to promote a podcast episode or a sale or just share information in a visually compelling way. And then you can modify those graphics to fit your exact style and vision. And then Canva Pro takes that to the next level. You can upload and save color palettes and fonts so that you can instantly make any template look custom to your specific branding. There are even more templates. You can easily collaborate with team members in-app. Quick shout out to my amazing content producer, Kelsey, who I go back and forth about all of our designs with. And you can even schedule your graphics to go live directly on Pinterest, Instagram, or other social channels when you're done, which I love because when I am done with something, I like to be really done with it. Like I want it off my plate, out the window, out of my brain. You can also make still graphics or video, which is really nice because of how much all of these social media apps are prioritizing video these days. Anything that makes the lift of making video easier is such a huge win. Basically, I do not know how we lived without Canva, and I do not want to go back to that world. Seriously, guys, I walk around all the time telling Zach that I'm basically a graphic designer now, to which he, as a person with actual design training, says, you are definitely not, but he still marvels at how cute my graphics look. To try Canva Pro for yourself, just go to canva.com. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. You're going to be obsessed. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, I feel like I waste so much time on apps. Is there anything I can do to increase my efficiency? I would go back to my advice about having a stronger profile. So your profile really matters. Making your profile better. I've done this with so many clients. Sometimes they get a professional photo shoot. Sometimes they just go to the beach with a friend with a fancy iPhone and play with a puppy and take some cute candids. Getting a better profile is going to have more people interested in you. It's also going to change the conversations that you're getting into. Let's say you're just like, you have on your profile that you don't know how to ride a bike. And every guy for the last six years has been like, oh my God, why don't you know how to ride a bike? I'll teach you how to ride a bike. You're probably sick of that. Change your profile to get into different types of conversations, mix it up. And so number one is improving your profile. Number two is going after what you want and being more proactive about sending likes and comments. Number three is changing your filters. Are you focusing too much on age and height? Can you be more flexible about both of those? Can you see who enters your life when you do that? And then number four is just being more open-minded in general and saying yes to people who you might not have said yes to in the past. 
I don't get the height thing. I know it's like such a huge thing on apps and I'm also short, so I maybe don't get it for that reason. But I'm just like, are you worried about apps in general making the shallow more important than the the deep parts of somebody's personality that you can't really write out in a statistic or show in a photo? Yeah. I try to tell my clients like there's this concept that what we measure becomes what matters. And so the fact that we measure height makes height seem more important. And so what can you do to just override that? And the number one thing is just expanding your filters. And so, you know, I have female clients that are six foot one and they're like, I don't want to go out with a guy who's five foot four. And people have a lot of complex feelings about height, but in general, I think you could probably meet someone at a bar who's shorter than your height minimum and still be attracted to them and sort of channel that feeling and make your height and age requirements more flexible. I like the idea that what we measure is what matters because it, even just being aware of that means like, oh, maybe this wasn't actually important innately. It's just been made to feel important because we've started talking about it so much. Yeah. And going back to the evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology stuff, like there is stuff going back to like, you know, people with clear skin had better genes and were healthier. And so you're attracted to them and therefore, you know, you should mate with someone like that. But a lot of that stuff is basically outdated in our society when we have such good medical care systems. Somebody's could be like a very good provider. It doesn't matter how tall they are. They don't have to like beat up somebody else in your village. They might just be working at a tech job. And so we are kind of you know, we are modern creatures with an operating system that is many thousands of years old, and sometimes it leads us astray. But what I can speak authoritatively on is the fact that people should be more flexible about height because it often matters less than you think. Okay. And then could you just end us on, if I want to meet someone, but I'm very much over apps, do you have any recommendations for meeting people in real life? Yes. I love advising people on this. And my contribution to this is what I call the events decision matrix, which is a way of plotting possible events and saying, what event should I go to? I love this. This is like one of the reasons I love how you approach all this so much. Like it's just so, we needed a voice like this in dating so much. Yay. That is so kind of you. So yeah, I developed this with a client. I don't know. When did I start? Like six years ago. She was just like, the apps are not working for me. And so we talked about having her go to more events, but she traveled a lot for her job. And so she had to prioritize the right ones. And so we created this matrix where every event that you could possibly go to, you plot along two lines. What is the likelihood that I would enjoy this event? And what is the likelihood that I would interact with someone? So the likelihood that you'll enjoy the event, why do I include that? It's because something that you'll have fun at is going to bring out a good side of you. The type of people you like maybe will be at that event. And even if you don't meet someone, at least you'll have a good time. You're not going to feel like it's a waste. And then likelihood of interaction is kind of obvious. It's like, well, are you going to be meeting people there or not? And so the types of events that you want to go to, the gold star events, are high likelihood of both. And so let's say that you love horror movies and there's a horror movie marathon, high likelihood of you'll enjoying it, but low likelihood of interaction. Let's say that there's a workout class, but you hate working out, high likelihood of interaction, low likelihood you'll enjoy it. And so for this woman, what ended up in that upper right-hand corner, high likelihood of both was a Ta-Nehisi Coates book club. 
And so she went from having very few first dates to getting six guys' numbers in one night and then dating one of them for a while. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that some people just do better in person. Certain events are just produce really high ROI, you know, you get that return on investment because it's the right type of event and that it doesn't mean you have to do one or the other. It means be on the ops, get the experience, get your reps in, but you can also be going to events where you're going to meet the right kind of person. So obviously we can tell for ourselves if we're going to like something. Could you give us some more ideas for the things that we could be doing, the events, the activities where we would have a high likelihood of meeting somebody or interacting? Yeah. This one might be cliche, but I don't have a dog, but some of my friends who have dogs, I just feel like we always chat with people at the dog park. There's just something about like you're half watching your dog, you're half talking to the person that I think makes people feel really comfortable and you have this thing to talk about, which is the dog. So that's a good one. Meetup.com, I feel like it was more of a thing like 10 years ago, but I did do a meetup event last week where I was a guest speaker for this author's book club and people were really great. A lot of religious organizations have fun young people events. So I've been to like a bunch of youth Shabbats at the synagogue in San Francisco. And, you know, you kind of have to be like, oh, is it going to be a bunch of other single people? What is this? But no, it's people who want to connect and have a community. And then this is an idea from my friend Misha, where he said, People always go to events and think they'll meet someone, but you only see people once. If you actually volunteer and help put on those events, then you are a part of the back of house team. You're getting to know people over time. And so he doesn't just, well, now he's, he's found someone and it's great, but he wouldn't just go to events. He would find organizations aligned with his interests, join the board, put on the events and actually meet quality people and have quality relationships through that. I love that. That speaks to the familiarity point that we yes, talked about yes, too. Yes. I think that's why sports teams work too. Yeah. I know so many people who do like club volleyball and they meet their partner that way and it's because you're exposed over and over and over. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I am not athletic at all. But yes, I know plenty of people who have met through being on co-ed soccer teams, being on volleyball teams, all of that. Well, this was so wonderful. I'm going to obviously hype up your book and all of that at the top of the episode, but is there anything you want to say in your own words about your book or your coaching work or anything like that? Sure. Yes. If anyone's interested in learning more about me, they can go to my website, loganyuri.com, and they can take the quiz there, which shows you your three dating tendencies or which tendency you have. They can also learn about my class called Date Smarter, where you learn with a community of other people and it make, takes dating from something that's pretty lonely to something that you do in the community of others. And people can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Logan Yuri. And can you just leave us on a note of, I think sometimes people don't want to spend money on improving their dating lives because they're like, oh my gosh, this must be lame. Like other people can do this naturally, et cetera. Can you kind of make us feel like less alone or more justified in approaching this? Like we might approach anything else we want to improve upon in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. It's like, we'll hire a personal trainer, we'll hire an accountant, we'll hire all these people to make our lives better. But then when it comes to dating, we're like, no, this is something that I should be born knowing how to do. And I just want to destigmatize asking for help on dating. Love is natural. Dating is not. Dating is new in the span of human history. And if it's something that you really want and you have a goal around it, 
go after it, get help, find the support you need. What matters is that you achieve your goal, not who you asked for help along the way. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Logan. Yay, it was so fun. Thanks for having me. I hope you loved this episode with Logan. Don't forget to head over to Instagram because we're doing that incredible giveaway. We're giving away a bunch of her books and a private virtual session with Logan so she can tackle all of your dating challenges. So head over to my Instagram. I am at Liz Moody and you can get all of the details over there. We're giving away a lot of stuff. So honestly, you have like a pretty good chance of winning. And if you love this episode, if you could just give it a quick rating or review on whatever podcast platform you listen on, I massively appreciate it. It's a really wonderful way to help support the podcast. Although, as you know, the best way to support this podcast is to send it to somebody in your real life. Send it to a friend. Send it to your aunt. Send it to your mom. Send it to your little sister who keeps going on dates with toxic guys and you really want her to be able to find the love of her life so that she can be happy and you guys can talk about other stuff. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience in any way, shape, or form. I really appreciate how much you guys spread the word about this podcast. It honestly makes a huge difference. This podcast has grown so much just in the last six months. It's honestly mind-blowing. And I am so grateful for every single one of you who has decided to join our little family. And if you are a new person here, if somebody sent you this episode or you just clicked on it on Instagram, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform that you are listening on so you don't miss out on any future episodes. They drop every single Wednesday. We have some really, really, really good ones coming up that I am so excited to share. All right. That is it from me. And I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they're all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask, and it feels like heaven, and you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works, and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com.